the vast majority of the firefighting force they have here in Australia are volunteers. The paid force is a pretty small percentage of the number of people they have actually out on the line. So the people out putting the fires and, and doing a lot of suppression efforts are people taking time off work and working their days off to come out here. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 From Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on another edition of Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. The ultimate in mutual aid has got to be the assist Australians are getting from U.S. firefighters. Australia is experiencing wildland fires on a massive scale. More than 25 million acres have burned in the fires that have raged since September. 31 people, including seven firefighters, have been killed. Thousands of homes have been lost. Those statistics describe a fire the likes of which the U.S. has never seen and hopefully never will. And even though the weather there has cooperated with heavy rain, that still hasn't been enough. About 240 U.S. firefighters have traveled to Australia to lend a hand in the past weeks. It's been a unique experience from the landscape to the fuels involved to culture shock. My guest today, by phone from Australia, is among the U.S. firefighters currently in-country. Rick Young is in his 30th fire season for both the U.S. Forest Service and National Park Service. He's a Type 1 Incident Commander for California Interagency Incident Management Team 5, and he's a Deputy Interagency Chief of Operations for Six Rivers National Forest and Redwood National Park. And Rick Young joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Well, good morning, Scott. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. You've been there for quite a while, three weeks or so. You're going to be there for a little longer. What's making these fires so tough to contain? Well, it's a, a lot of different things, but primarily it's just the drought they're under, the fuels here. You know, this, this landscape here is was made by fire. You know, it, it, it uses fire, but the drought they're under here in Australia currently has these fuels so tender dry. They're uh, resistant to suppression efforts, and it doesn't take much to get a spot going. And uh, once it does, it's kind of off to the race, especially if it has the wind and, and temperature in its favor. It, it's just really resistant. The other issue they have is they, they just it's a numbers game in terms of the number of people they have to throw at it. It's a lot of different factors, actually. Here in America, they've been referring to it as Australia being on fire. Are the fires really that widespread? I, I would say several weeks ago, probably a month ago, they were they were pretty widespread, and I don't think it was much of an exaggeration, especially around the uh, the areas around the coast, from the north to the east to the south, where uh, most of the population density is. I don't think it was an exaggeration at all. They've gotten some precipitation up on the north end, though, up in the, the Queensland, the Gold Coast area. That's kind of quieted those fires down a bit. And they got some down in Victoria. So 
that's helped out significantly with getting a handle on some of the fires. So it's probably not as widespread as it was, but a lot of those fires, you know, they, there's just not enough people to get in and, and put them out when you have the opportunity with the, the, the rain and the, the cooler temperatures. So they're not necessarily out yet, and they could come back, you know, once it gets in alignment again. But I think the media was pretty accurate about several weeks ago when they were talking about fires being everywhere. It seemed like the entire country was on fire. The Australian firefighters have been at this for months. What's it like working with these guys? I tell you, the Australian firefighters are are some of the best I've worked with. They 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 keep everything in perspective. They you don't hear a lot of complaining. You know, obviously they're they're the cumulative fatigue of months of this and and no end in sight. Certainly, uh, you know, it, it. you hear comments every now and then, but these people, uh, you know, they love their country and, and they're, uh, they're going to do what they have to do to keep working at this. It's kind of interesting because they, they, most of the, the vast majority of the firefighting force they have here in Australia are volunteers. The paid force is a pretty small percentage of the number of people they have actually out on the line. So the people out putting the fires and, and laying back burns and, and, and doing a lot of suppression efforts are people taking time off work and working their days off to come out here and, and make things happen. How does that affect the firefighting efforts? Well, I think that's one of the big differences we have between, you know, when I'm running an incident in California and, and the way they run incidents here is just the, the number of transitions they have. Even the, the paid force only works a five-day work week and then takes a day off, and then they'll work another five and take two days off. And that's a pretty standard tour for the, the folks. So the volunteers, if they can give five, they always have the, you know, they'll end up taking their six off. So you just end up seeing a lot of transitions every day. There's new faces on the line. And so that is, that's been kind of challenging for me as an American company, you know, cause we're used to having someone, if I have a crew, I, I'm pretty sure I have them for 14 days. You know, they, they, they have a lot of transitions here. Which leads into my next question, which is how was working a wildland fire over there different than working one at home? Well, it's, it's significantly different because uh, in America, you know, we, if we have a, a fire, I assemble my team, we go to that location, we set up a fire camp, and we run everything out of that fire camp. Here, what they have is they have control centers, which are, you know, in, in political boundaries. And if fires happen within those political boundaries, they're managed out of that control center. And so all the planning takes place at this control center. And the, the resource allocation from their pool of resources within that, that political boundary, they, they send them out on a daily basis. Where it gets complicated is when you get large fires that cross over those political boundaries because you still only have the, the control center will only have control over the portion that's burned into their political boundary. And uh, so, you know, we talk about that, that weakest point always being where that, that transition happens. And, and that's kind of a thing here because from what I've seen, the communication – between the two that happens and the ICs are talking to each other, it's, it's interesting because we're only dealing up to a political boundary for the most part. What about the day-to-day firefighting? Is that any different or is that pretty much the same? A little different. We start out each day. They, they work a 12-hour shift, 8 to 8. Night shift comes in. We do a transition meeting at 8 at night and 8 in the morning. And then uh, night shift, you, we don't have a lot of resources currently, so night shift job pretty much now is just finishing off the IAT and making sure all the planning's in place and then dealing with any new starts because remember we're talking to a control center that's not just a jurisdiction for the fire that we're working on it could have multiple fires and it has IA responsibility still for everything within that that political boundary so night shift also has to uh, be prepared to pick up any new fires and get resources to those should they pop up (laughs) 
I'll be back with more right after this. Don't miss your chance to get your hands on the hottest logo wear around. Code Free Podcast Gear makes you look good and tells the world you're a fan. Now you can wear the Code 3 logo proudly. Just go to our website, Code3Podcast.com. Click the banner and you'll be able to order an assortment of cool apparel and accessories. And thanks for supporting the podcast that supports firefighters. So what is daily life like on the fire line out there? Well, daily life is, is not too unsimilar to what we do. I mean, I've got people out there. We've got a, a general strategy and, and tactics. And we get out there and we line people out and do it. I think the biggest difference is just the number of bodies we have to use. You know, you talk about New South Wales is, is, is the area I'm in, the state I'm in. It's, it's roughly the size of Texas. And, and currently, they've got uh, 64 incidents going on. And the entire field personnel deployed is 1,332 people. Wow. And that's across all 64 incidents. So it gives you an idea of, of kind of the, the number of people we're dealing with. In California, if I have a type 1 incident takeoff, I can have 2,500 people assigned the next morning. So, it, you know, that, that reality of you just don't have the same number of, of people out there to fight fire. The other thing, it's hard to wrap my head around coming from the States, and it makes sense here because of the, their fuel type, is they don't have a lot of hand crews. They don't have any hand So they don't do a lot of direct attack like we do. You know, there's, a, there's certain areas we would just, you know, throw six hot shot crews and have them walk across there and, and coal trail or put it out, build lines, we'd be done with it. They don't have that capability here. They tend to fall back to roads. And, and burn off. They use a lot of dozers and burn off those lines. They do have what they call RAF teams, which are rapid area fire teams. And they're, 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 they're skilled to get in. They, they, they winch them, as they call it, out of a helicopter into remote locations, and they, they can do some direct stuff that way. But it's very limited in use, and there's very few people that are qualified to do it. So I think that's the biggest difference is they tend to fall back and, and, and burn off lines, which is, is totally effective and appropriate in this fuel type because they just don't have the bodies to get in there and go direct. And the fuels here are so volatile, you wouldn't want to do that in a lot of places anyway because there's just not a lot of safe places to go. What role do most of the U.S. personnel sent their play in firefighting operations? Well, it was initially we were kind of higher up in the, the red card quals, you know, doing a lot of operations, a lot of air quals. They did a lot of air support over here. But recently they've been sending, you know, the Angeles sent uh, a bunch of people from their hand crews, assembling hand crews from the United States and sending them over, which is probably a very effective tool in some locations. So they're, they're starting to do that. They're not, they're not like an entire hotshot crew, but they're, they're, they're hotshots that they've gathered from different crews that put together and, and assemble crews with. I'm not sure what the numbers are, those they have over here, though. I haven't been following that very close. It sounds like you're effectively combining skills we use here with the Aussie firefighters' skills. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of blending our systems a bit. For example, my role, I came over as an operations section chief, and their operations section chiefs tend to stay in the control center all the time. And, and we got kind of a, a critical area that, that we're working in, and, and the community was getting a little... Uh, little antsy and so i i started going out in the field to meet with community members and and start you know working with because it's all about relationships and personalities and managing those as well so 
I've taken my operations role and took, took it more into what how we use operations in the United States, especially field operations, and going out and, and kind of doing some more on the ground direction and, and relationship building, if you will. Also, you know, trying to oversee some of the tactics to make sure that they're happening, especially with the number of transitions we have every, you know, four or five days. So by this time, you must have had contact with residents. What are they saying about their experiences? Oh, well, it, you know, they're, they're all, they're all very happy. They're all, I'll tell you, the people of Australia are some of the, the kindest, uh, most gentle people I've, I've ever been around. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to interact with them. They're, a lot of them are exhausted just because of the, the, uh, the amount of fires they've seen, you know, and they, they, everybody knows somebody that's either helping or volunteering or been directly affected. Where I'm at right now, outside the nation's capital, they had the coast highway closed for four weeks, and that's a big tourist town. Now it's the heart of their tourist season. So when I went out there last weekend to talk with folks, they're really feeling the economic impact, and some of those stores might not make it. So it was, you know, it, it, the, the reality, the economic impact, the reality of that is, is having on some of these smaller communities is really profound, and you can really feel that when you talk to these people. Well, the cultures are different for sure. Have you had any odd situations there? Not really. You know, we, we every now and then they'll they'll say something or do something, and and we'll joke because we do it differently in the U.S. But no, not no real big issues at all. It's just kind of you know some of the verbiage they use a little different than we use. Of course, driving on the other side of the road is a little challenging at times. Remember, but I, I think culturally, especially when you start talking to the locals, because they're very in tune with the pop culture of America. They're very in tune with the politics of America too, so it's really easy to have a conversation with folks because they, they, they know a lot more about American politics and pop culture than some of the people back home I know. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. I guess they do pay pretty close attention to U.S. culture and politics. Indeed, they do. Okay, I'll let you get back to work. Please be safe, and we know you'll be back here in about a week. Rick Young, thanks for joining me on Code Three today. It's been a pleasure, Scott. Thank you. After we finished the interview, Rick said he believes these kind of international deployments are only going to become more common. These fires are bigger than anything we've yet seen here in the U.S., and our fire crews just came off a tough season here. But we help whoever needs it whenever they need our help. If you have comments about the situation, you can leave them on our website at code3podcast.com slash Australia. There are links to more news there as well. Well, you know, this show wouldn't be possible without the support of superfans who've made a pledge at our Patreon site. Why not join them? It's easy. Head over to Code3Podcast.com support. If you give $10 a month or more, you'll get instant access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Those are extra content we make available exclusively to patrons. So make your pledge today. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. And I sure hope you'll be here too. I'm Scott Orr. Until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.